0: God is faithful. There is no question in that statement. That is a declaration that rings true and has rung true from the very creation of all things, even to the day that we live in today. That's why this topic, and I'm thankful to the leadership of this congregation for choosing this topic, is both relevant and, and truly impactful as we consider our life and our relationship with our Creator. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be back this year with my family. I do appreciate you letting me stay, even though Elizabeth is not here with me this morning. Um, I know I'm Elizabeth's husband um, to most people, and I'm happy to to wear that title. Uh, But she's a little under the weather, and uh, hopefully she'll feel better and be able to be here this evening, or if not, uh, tomorrow morning for sure. But this topic that's been chosen... It's very simple, and, and all of us can understand this concept of faithfulness, but as applied to God, there is a depth that if we will really understand and really live in, it will change everything about our life and our relationship with Him, and our life and our relationship with one another, and our relationship with this world. So I want you to think about the concept of faithfulness, not in just a statement of God is trustworthy, but to the depth of the understanding of what that faithfulness truly entails. And and what we've done is we've chosen 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 to be the theme verse, which is that declaration of his faithfulness. But I want to put that verse in context because we're going to refer to this single verse all week long. And when we refer to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, I want you to get the picture of what it is that Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to verse 9, which makes that statement, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to continue there to verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, And in the same judgment. So it's really neat to take that one verse that does have that statement. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Which young people I want to challenge you to memorize that verse this week. Okay, Of of all the fun things we're going to do. We're also going to try to learn. We're going to try to grow. We're going to be spiritually minded. I want you to commit that verse to memory. And that verse certainly makes that statement that God is faithful. But understand, he's using that faithfulness to launch into an appeal. Now, the rest of 1 Corinthians, is this a pleasant letter to read? (laughs) It's not. There's a lot of correction. There are a lot of errors in the church at Corinth in which Paul is saying, you need to get these things right. You need to fix these things. You need to repent and change And I think it's interesting that as he's about to make this appeal to correct the things that were going on, they had a man sleeping with his father's wife in 1 Corinthians 5 that the whole church knew about. And they weren't doing anything about it. They were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. One of the most sacred things that we get to participate in, where the presence of Christ is with his people, and they were making it into a common meal where some were being filled and some were not getting any and some were becoming drunken. Could you imagine that happening here? (laughs) Uh, To think of that congregation in Corinth and all the problems that they had, and before he launches into all of these issues and all of these problems, notice what he says God is faithful. I want to tell you, because God is faithful, sometimes we can do hard things. And because God is faithful, we can say the hard truths that people need to hear. And because God is faithful, I can take that correction, I can take that instruction, and then make a decision to repent and make those changes that I need to make. I want to tell you, this topic of God's faithfulness is pertinent, not just to our young people, but to all of us. But I do want to say to our young people, this is important for you to learn today. That no matter what comes in life, and I, I think it's foolish if I say, hey, your life's going to get hard. I want to tell you, their life is hard. Their life is challenging. Their life is difficult. They face challenges and temptations that I didn't face. And I'm not an old man. <laughs> it's a different world that they're growing up in. So so let's be realistic and say, I understand the things you're facing are difficult. I understand relationships are challenging. I understand it's hard to be godly as a young person in this world. I get it. But if you'll understand God is faithful, He's trustworthy, I can build on Him as a rock and a foundation for my life, then guess what? All those challenges, all those issues, all those problems, I can endure. And if I can endure those, then guess what? There's a wonderful promise that He's given to me. And guess what? That's worth the suffering. That's worth the pain. That's worth the challenge. That's worth the difficulty that I have to endure here on this earth. So this morning, we want to start our studies with this idea that God is faithful by His very nature. Okay, we we can think of faithfulness as something that we display. You know, we would say, well, I'm faithful to my wife because you know what? I'm dedicated to her. I'm not looking to find fulfillment in in another woman because I'm faithful to that relationship that I have. I can demonstrate faithfulness to my employer. Then I'm going to do my best to do the job that I've agreed to do for the wages that I've agreed to do them. And guess what? Fulfill that responsibility. In all integrity and honesty and uprightness. And you and I can display faithfulness. But I want to tell you, by our nature, we're not faithful. (laughs) God is. He doesn't just perform acts of faithfulness, he is the manifestation of all faithfulness. So what we're talking about is the very nature and character of God. Numbers 23 and 19 says it this way: God is not man. So you know what that means? You're not God. God is not man. Man is not God. Okay, I'm sure there's some geometry proof that would prove that. I don't know what property that's called. Some landing at home could help me. Uh, He's a PhD in math. He would tell me exactly what that property was. But God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will, he not fulfill it? So as we're talking about God is faithful, the faithfulness of God, we're talking about his very nature, not just things that he does. Think of it this way. God is love. Now, does God love? Absolutely. But God is love. He is that perfect manifestation of that. God is self-sufficient. God is eternal. God is grace. God is patience. God is wisdom. God is truth. God is righteous. God is omniscience. God is omnipotence. God is holy. And I think it's interesting as you think about that last one that in the New Testament and the Old Testament, guess what? Mankind is called to be, or his people are called to be what? Holy. You be holy, for I am holy. Man, that's interesting, isn't it? He says, you need to strive to be holy. Because I, by my very nature, am holy. And if you have a relationship with me, some of that holiness ought to be impacting your life. (laughs) And you ought to be different. That's what the word holy means. It means totally different and set apart from everything else. And God certainly is holy. Just as God is faithful. So this week, as we're going through these studies, I want you to understand... That this isn't just a shallow dive into God keeping His word or keeping His promises, but we're actually getting to the very essence and nature of who God is. Now, Exodus 34, beginning of verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Moses. This was actually as he was going to get the replacement stones (laughs) um, to be carved again by God in the mount. And as he goes up and approaches, God is there in his presence and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation? You see, why is it that God is a God that is abounding in faithfulness? It's because He's God. Because He's the Lord. And it's not just because He says so, but it's because of who He is. I want you to think About that type of being. Are you faithful? Have you been perfectly faithful in everything that you've ever committed yourself to? I know a lot of people January 1st every year, they make a promise. (laughs) Right? They make those New Year's resolutions. And then about, what, January 18th, it's not working out, right? And I know that's a very shallow example, but I want to tell you, we have many opportunities to display our ability to be faithful. I want to tell you, we fail. You ever told someone you would be there to do something, and you know what, you forgot, and you just weren't there? And then that phone rings, and they say, hey, where are you? And you're like, oh, no, I was supposed to be there, right? Yeah. You know, it's never happened with God. <laughs> if God said He was going to do something, He did it. If God said He would be there, He was there. So when God tells us, I will, guess what? I will forgive. Do we trust that? And if we trust that, what we're trusting is the faithfulness of God, not just that He will be forgiving, but that He's faithful. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8 says it this way, 8 and verse 9. He says, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. I want to tell you, that's the deepest point I can make today. God is God. What's that mean? It means he's everything that he says he is. And you don't have to have a test for it. If he declares it, he is it. And he says, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Doesn't that sound good? Man, what a a God. It means we can trust him. I love this picture, the trust fall, right? Hopefully we'll do that this week. Zach, you're first. (laughs) We'll catch you, maybe. We'll see about that trust. We can trust God. And if I can trust God, then I can be vulnerable with God. You know, God doesn't want us wearing masks when we come into his presence. I want to tell you somewhere else we shouldn't wear a mask. We shouldn't wear a mask among God's people. Because when we wear masks and we're not vulnerable, we're not honest, what we do is we perpetuate a stereotype of Christianity that's not realistic. I want to tell you, being a child of God is hard. Making good decisions is not always easy. Suffering through loss and illness... And broken homes and relationships and financial stress. I'll tell you, all that's reality and it's hard. And if we just come to church on Sunday all dressed up, ready to take our pictures, and that's all we put out there for the world to see, the world can't relate to that. You know what the world can relate to? Brokenness. Now I'm not saying we wallow in our brokenness. But I need you to know something. The man that stands before you today isn't the same man that came to Jesus. I came to Jesus broken. And I can remember what that feels like. Therefore, I can still share that message with other people. And all of us ought to be able to have that vulnerability and honest evaluation with one another. Because God is faithful. God's people are faithful. And I trust them. Lamentations 3, through 24 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You ever sing that old hymn, great is thy faithfulness? I guarantee we'll sing it this week <laughs> a few times, I would imagine. It's a powerful song. What's it speak to? It speaks to the ever unchanging nature of God. That God is true to everything that he's ever said and everything that he's ever promised. And because of that, we can live a life that's worthy of that faithfulness. Because at the end, there's a great promise of an eternal life with him. And without that, where would we be? You ever thought about that? Without the promise of heaven, what's the purpose of this life and this existence? You know, don't people argue even secularly? Is there life after death? I think it's interesting that secular scientists ask, is there some consciousness beyond the grave? Yes, there is. They can search for it all day long. God declared that it is, and he's faithful. I trust him. I build my life upon him. And that life is meaningful, that life has purpose, and that life doesn't meet a tragic end, but it meets a glorious newness with God. The man who wrote Great Is Thy Faithfulness, we'll talk more about his life, I'll tell you, full of tragedy. He wanted to be a minister, and he ministered, but he got sick. And he lost financially everything, and all he had was his faith. And a gift for writing poems. So he started writing poems. And Great Is Our Faithfulness was actually a poem that he wrote. And then someone else wrote the music to. And it became one of the most popular hymns uh, that we're familiar with even today. But he did that because he knew who it was he was writing about. Now, in the Old Testament, there are some terms that are used to relate to this idea of faithfulness. So I want to cover a couple of these terms because through the week, I want you to be familiar with what each one means. And they're all four Hebrew terms. The first one is emet, um, And it's most commonly translated faithfulness, true, truth, and true to himself and his word. So an example of this would be found in Genesis chapter 12 as God made a promise to a man named Abram. Now do you remember what God promised to Abram? Land, a nation, in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, and Abram at that time with his wife Sarai, did they have any children? No. So what was the likelihood of that happening in his mind? But we know Abram was faithful, he did what God asked him to do, and his obedience, it was accounted as righteousness, his faith. I want you to listen to this promise that He said, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's committing a lot to Abram, isn't he? He made a promise. He made a number of promises just in those few verses that God is saying, I'm going to do this. And ultimately, what happened? 25 years later, in Genesis chapter 21, what happened? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So this idea of emet, in the Hebrew language, Is a this is an example of that, that God is true to what it is He says. Now, another example of of faithfulness is Amnunna. Okay? And it's 49 times it's utilized in the Old Testament, and it's translated as steadiness or reliability. So it, it, it more speaks to the nature of consistency of God. He's unchanging in his ways. Uh, we think of the passage in the New Testament, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This would be that concept of emunah. Psalm 96 and 13 says it this way. Then shall all the trees of the forest for joy, sing for joy... Before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You know, God's judgment is always right. You know whose judgment's not always right? Any baseball players or softball players in here? You can raise your hand. Oh, yeah. I see my boys over here. Okay. You know whose justice and judgment isn't always right? Umpire, umpire, ever make a mistake? Yeah. And I remember being on the mound and I would paint the outside corner and he'd call it a ball. So I'd have to throw it a little bit more at that. He'd still call it a ball. I'd get so frustrated. I was like, that's not fair. The strike zone is letters to the knees, the width of that plate, and that plate has black on it. I want the black. <laughs> I want to paint those corners. You got to give me that blue. Because if he doesn't, guess what? I got to throw it down the middle. They're more prone to hit it that way. I don't want to do that. He was wrong. You see that pitch up there? It's a foot outside and he called it a strike. You know, if he's going to be consistent with that and call that all night long, I can live with it. I can figure it out. I can adjust. But if it's just arbitrary based upon how he feels at that given moment, whether it's a ball or a strike, that's not fair. You know, God's judgment isn't that way. God's judgment is always fair. Not only is it always fair, it's always right. (laughs) It's always right. I will tell you, if you read the scriptures today and there's something in your life that God would say is an abomination or was an abomination 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's an abomination today. If God's word calls it sin 2,000 years ago, it's sin today. Oh, we can sugarcoat it. We can phrase it in a political way to make us feel better about it. Or we can just submit to it and say, God, your judgment and justice is right. And I'm the one that needs to change. First Samuel 26 and 23. This is an awesome uh, example. Uh, you know, David had no- a number of opportunities to kill Saul. Right, David knew he was going to be the next king of Israel because of Saul's sin. Saul knew it. And David had a number of opportunities to kill Saul. Now Saul threw spears at him and chased after him, never got him. But what did David say about Saul? He said, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lords. It's on the Lord's time that this is going to happen. Yeah, the Lord's anointed me, but right now you're the Lord's anointed, so I'm going to wait on His time. You know why? Because He rewards faithfulness. Why does the Lord reward faithfulness? Because He's faithful. And at the end of our life, what is it that God is wanting? He's wanting us to be more like Him. So as we display faithfulness and we judge righteously and we change the things we need to change, we're being conformed to the image of Christ more like God who is by his nature the perfect example of faithfulness? Number three is the word has said. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this word um, because, pertaining to God's faithfulness, it's used 255 times in the Old Testament, translated as kindness, loving kindness, or mercy. We love mercy, don't we? <laughs> I do. This is emphasized by God's faithfulness to his people due to covenant. So as we look at faithfulness, we can't escape the idea of covenant. So we're going to talk this week a lot about covenants and the way God operated through covenants and how that displayed his faithfulness to his people. Just one example this morning, because I can't preach all... It's not 10. Oh, yeah, we don't have church on Thursday. We go to Six Flags, right? Okay, so nine sermons. I only have nine sermons. I can't preach them all this morning. So... But I do want you to understand this about Nehemiah 9, okay? God was fed up with his people. (laughs) God, essentially, he talks about it in the terms of Israel committing adultery against him. He had been so good and faithful to them, and guess what they did? They trashed that relationship, didn't they? But there was still an element of God's promise that he was going to keep. And Nehemiah 9, he he re-institutes that idea to remind them that, hey, you're going to be punished. You're going to suffer. Some of you, guess what, who've rebelled against me, you're not coming back. But there's always going to be a group that I'm going to bless because I'm going to keep my covenant with them. Verse 17 says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. These people had constructed a golden calf after God is the one who sent the plagues on Egypt and got them their emancipation. And they're bowing before a golden calf saying, this is your God that led you out of Egypt. How would you feel if you were God? This ungrateful people were are bowing before an idol made with their own hands and giving that idol credit for what I did. That's not right. I'll destroy you. What did God do? He extended mercy. Oh, they suffered. They were punished. But they weren't utterly destroyed and cut off from being his people. Verse 19. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. So even in his corrective action toward them of wandering in the wilderness, God's faithfulness was ever-present. Why? Because they had the cloud by day and the fire by night. His faithfulness endured. And that example of faithfulness is that idea of hesed, or his loving kindness, his merciful nature, and his forgiving person. And the last one, Zassar, 235 times in the Old Testament, uh, translated as a form of the word remember. Uh, it's focused on the idea that God acts on what he is remembering, not that he, that he forgets, but that there are tokens of covenants that he uses, that when he acknowledges those tokens, he remembers the covenant or the promise that he's made. The psalmist writes in Psalm 106 and 44 and 45 Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So there were periods as these people were disobeying God as they would be punished, they would repent, and who would they cry out to? Not the golden calf. They cried out to God. And guess who was there to hear? God was. And as he heard their cries, guess what he remembered? I remember my covenant and my promise to you. What's an example of that that we know of that's very familiar to us? It's the bow that the Lord placed into the clouds. In Genesis 9 and verse 16, as as God created the rainbow for that token between he and Noah and he and all of his creation, notice what he says. He says, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So this is that idea of that fourth word, Zasar in the Hebrew tongue. Now, what does God's faithfulness do? Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Jeremiah, a major prophet of God, giving warnings to the people of God of their disobedience and the punishment they were going to be in. suffering from because of their disobedience and uh, adulterous ways and their idolatry Uh, he comes to them and he makes this statement he says, behold I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation you see God had scattered Israel and Judah they had been taken captive by other nations why? why? wasn't just because those other nations were more powerful. It was the plan of God. Because his people were disobedient. He said, now I've scattered you in my wrath and my indignation, that punishment. But notice what he says. I will bring them back to this place. And I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I won't turn away from doing good. That's the God we want, right? And God states it, and if he's faithful, he has to hold himself to that promise. Did he do that? Did he create and institute an everlasting covenant? You see, he's not just talking about Israel here, is he? He's talking about an everlasting covenant that he would make with humanity. And that everlasting covenant would create a people through obedience to the gospel in Jesus Christ. And in that covenant, guess what? God does good to his people. He protects us, he shields us. We have blessings that he has given to us to preserve us so that we might endure the things in this life. Because if we'll endure, we get to be with him. If we suffer and maintain our faithfulness to him, the reward is worthy of the sacrifice. And God himself made that sacrifice to create this everlasting covenant. So when you think about what does God's faithfulness do? It creates the ability for us to be with him. 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul in chapter 2 verse 11 says it this way. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Praise God (laughs) that even if I'm faithless, I don't change the nature of God. None of us do. He's faithful. And you say, but I've done horrible things. I'm nasty and vile because of the things I've allowed my heart to chase after. The things I've done with my body are immoral. They're ungodly. They they are against His will. And I've been faithless. Guess what? That doesn't change the nature of God. And in fact, God's faithfulness can be an even greater display in your life through repentance and recovery in Jesus. Because he can take the unclean and guess what? Make them clean. He can take the sinner and make them a saint. He can take the adulterer and make them a faithful spouse. He can take the addict to substances. And guess what? He can addict them to his ministry. He can take someone that's on the verge of taking their own life and he can make them see their value and how their life isn't their own to take. And if that's not the faithfulness of God, I don't know what is. Your lack of faith doesn't change the faithfulness of God, and you know how God does that for his people that are in covenant with him? Notice back to our passage in Jeremiah 32. There in verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Right? But notice what he says next. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You ever question, man, I don't know if I'm faithful enough to endure this. You ever had something in life rock you to that point? I don't know if I'm faithful enough to walk through this, Lord. I don't know if I'm faithful enough to suffer and endure this, Lord. This may be my breaking point. I don't know. Guess what? You're not alone. Because what's the Lord say? I'm going to work with you to keep you from turning from me. See, what that tells me is when I was baptized into Jesus Christ in this baptistry, it didn't look this way, but in this baptistry, I was born again, and I began walking with Christ. Jesus didn't say, all right, I did my part. It's all in your hands now. I hope you stay true and faithful. No, he's still with me. He's setting his fear in my heart through studying and understanding and knowing his word so that I know I can stay faithful to death, that I know I won't give up on the commitment that I made to my Lord. Oh, I'll stumble, I'll fall to the ground, but you know what? I got to get up and keep walking. You know why? Because he's there with me. He doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. He says, I'm right here with you. I'm putting these things in your heart so that I can walk with you so that I may get you and lead you to eternity with me. And I think we miss that. Because we think someone's baptized and they better just figure it out. Be faithful, come to church. I'll tell you, life still happens. Things to endure are still going to be there. And God is there all along the way to help to keep us from turning from him. And at the end, there's an amazing promise. Revelation 3 and 21, as he instructs the church at Laodicea... If you remember, this congregation was the one that was uh, not hot, not cold. But they were lukewarm. And what did the Lord say? I'd spew you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That disgusting imagery. But here was the encouragement to this congregation. He says, the one who conquers, hey, the one who endures, the one who's faithful... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You want to sit on the throne with Jesus? I do. He promised it. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he promised it, and I know he will, and I trust him, and every fiber of my being has to be longing for that reward. That's why no matter how good this life is, heaven's better. A throne with God, he's going to give me a crown of life. He's going to do that for me? I, I, I trust him. Sammy, we're going to have crowns. You know what we're going to do with those crowns? We're going to throw them down at Jesus' feet. Because he's the only one worthy. But I get to be with him. Not because of how great I am. Not because of all the things I've accomplished. Because of His faithfulness to His promise. He said it. And I trust Him. And therefore, I'm going to live. Therefore, I'm going to walk. Therefore, I'm going to encourage others. And therefore, I want to be as faithful to Him as I possibly can. Because I don't want to miss that. But I want to tell you, that promise as God is faithful to deliver it, is contingent upon our service to Him. And if anybody teaches you otherwise, I'll tell you, they're ignoring the faithfulness of God. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 11, we read this. The saying is trustworthy. Right? Isn't that one of the words we looked at for faithfulness? For if If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. But notice there what we like to ignore in that passage. (laughs) Oh, if I die with him, I'll live. If I endure, I'll reign. If I'm faithless, he's faithful. Man, that sounds great. There's another if there. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Didn't Jesus say the same thing in Matthew chapter 10? Whosoever would confess me before men, guess what? It's him I'll confess before my Father. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also what? Deny before my Father in heaven. Is God faithful? You bet. That means if you deny him, he's faithful. He's telling you the truth, he'll deny you. We don't like to think about that. I want the other God. It's the same God. And whatever he says, he will do. And this morning, if you need to take part in the faithfulness of God, guess what he says to do? He says to believe his word. And for us today, as we are New Testament Christians living in a time after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ... Specifically, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's not just a wild belief that's hopeful that that is true, but it's a belief founded upon faith that motivates me to change my life in accordance with that truth. That because Jesus is the Son of God, I'm going to submit to Him. And I believe He's the Son of God. I repent of my sins because I believe the faithfulness of God. Because Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. If I don't repent, and I don't change, God's going to cause me to perish. I don't want that. Therefore, I repent. I confess Him before men. Because I understand in Romans chapter 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For what? with the mouth, confession is made of salvation with the heart. Guess what? That confession takes hold. And it becomes real to us. And we make that confession unto salvation. And then guess what? We're baptized into Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 explains that form of doctrine. Into which, as Jesus taught in John chapter 3, we're born again of the water and the Spirit. And guess why we need to be baptized? Because of his faithfulness. And every example in the New Testament of salvation, guess what they taught? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See, here is water. What keeps me from being baptized? The same hour of the night, they went and washed his stripes and baptized. Why? Because God's faithfulness. His truth, His word, His promise. And we don't want to deny Him. But we want to confess Him. And this morning, if you will confess your sins, guess what our God is? He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Not to make you feel like a rotten, dirty scumbag that we all are. But to forgive you. But you have to acknowledge it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know who this passage was written to? It wasn't written to the alien sinner. It was written to the church. I want to tell you, I need that blood cleansing me every day. And if I'll walk in a life of confessing my sin, acknowledging my sin, repenting of that sin, and living that type of life, my God is faithful and just to forgive my sins. I'll tell you, the same God will do that for you today. I don't know your heart. I don't know your mind. I don't know your life yet. <laughs> I'll know it better after this week. I'm to tell you, if you're outside of Jesus, you've never been baptized into Christ, that promise, it's a wish for you right now. But if you'll submit to him and be buried with your Lord in baptism, it's a promise that you can count on. And you can go from death to life. And if you're a brother or sister in Christ. Facing something that's causing you to. Question your faithfulness. Or you just need encouragement. Or or whatever it is. Let's all draw together. (laughs) And let's be encouraged by the faithfulness of our God. And we're here to serve you. The elders here are here to serve you. And help you in any way that we can. If you have a spiritual need. We're going to stand in just a moment. Sing a song of invitation. And if we can help you. Don't waste this opportunity to rely upon the faithfulness of God as we've studied and talked about this morning. But come to Him, repenting of your sins and embracing a new life in Jesus while we stand and sing. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is there.